passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You know, if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm playing basketball to play against Michael Jordan, this is, this is it for me. You know, you guys all play EA Sports. I do this for real. And I do it against the best. So, what you mean, you know? But, um, yeah, crazy week, you know? Um, I showed up to work. A lot of people didn't. And, you know, it's, it's out of their hands, you know? Sometimes it's not in their control. But, hey, player one has the controller. So, I showed up. And Anderson... Thank you. Obrigado, my friend. You've been doing this for a long time, and I appreciate you. You know? Um, hey, Rob, heal up quick. Kelvin, put that belt down. Seriously. And, uh, yeah. Whatever happens next, shut your mouth. What you gonna do when I run wild on you? Now, I love you guys. Out of here. Ladies and gentlemen, your winner, Israel Adesanya. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our UFC 234 post-show. I'm John Pollock, joined by Phil Chertok, as always, for these monthly pay-per-view reviews. As tonight, I tuned in ready to see Robert Whitaker defend his championship against Kelvin Gastelum, and that did not happen. Phil, welcome to the show. Hi, John. I'm happy to be here. What a day this was for uh, Dana White, for the UFC, for... Uh, fans in Australia that woke up and found out that there was not going to be a middleweight championship main event uh, headlining this card. Uh, what was your reaction to this news? Because this was a very strange one. It, it, it was very strange. I was uh, getting ready to go out for an early dinner, which is what I usually do on these UFC events. And I got a text from you actually telling me that Whitaker was off the card. And then I, and you told me why, and I started Googling it and seeing all the reaction. And uh, I, at first, I was certainly disappointed. That's my immediate uh, reaction. But I've kind of become numb to this sort of thing. Like after being a MMA fan for so long, this this stuff feels like it happens fairly often. So I, you know, I got over it pretty quickly, I guess. Yeah, it's... Like, I mean, there there was absolutely nothing the UFC could have done. This was breaking at around 6, 7 in the morning in Australia because because of the time zone difference. This card was happening early Sunday morning. And uh, Robert Whitaker's team put out a statement and wrote that last night at roughly 9 p.m., uh, Rob began, began experiencing intense abdominal pains that were brought to the attention of the UFC doctors. After several hours of observation, he was admitted to the hospital at 3 a.m. Rob is just out of dual surgery for a twisted and collapsed bowel, in addition to an internal hernia of the intestine, and will be recovering in hospital for several days. Rob will want to speak to his fans directly when he can. He's devastated that today's fight will not go ahead. Up until five minutes before going into surgery, Rob was insisting he would fight, 
but advice was that a blow to his stomach could be fatal. Rob will come back stronger and ready for what is to come. Thanks to the UFC, Calvin and his team for your professionalism. Uh, this sounded um, unbelievable when you're hearing what this guy was dealing with. Yeah, it's horrific that I, if if all of these accounts are accurate, he could have died by uh, competing. So uh, thankfully they caught it uh, and um, hopefully he'll be fine from it. You know, we had talked about earlier that, I mean, this was an extremely thin card to begin with. It was really two fights that had everyone's interest. And I don't even know what the option would have been had you not had Anderson Silver and Israel Adesanya. Like this was, I, I'm assume that people were accepting enough of this as a main event, but this is going to be a very interesting one to see um, what level of interest there was in this pay-per-view with the loss of the title fight and already a pay-per-view that I wasn't expecting to do huge. But the X factor is, you know, ESPN covering the UFC as heavily as they are right now and putting all their resources behind it. Uh, Do you think that this, this show is going to do, uh, bigger than kind of may- maybe your low end pay per views of a year or two ago would have. It's it's very hard to judge. This is the first pay per view of the ESPN era, uh, and certainly the main event falling through at the last minute is is devastating to any card. Um, but it's not like the biggest draw on this card was the Israel versus Silva fight, and that fight still happened. So I'm not sure how much uh, the main event falling through is really going to affect the buy rate. Um, The crowd, the audience looked full. It didn't look like a lot of people got refunds. Um, So uh, I think it it might do okay. It really depends on how much of a star Israel Adesanya is because he's never headlined a pay-per-view. And so he's been on a pay-per-view before, but this would be the first time he's headlined one. So... Uh, I'm curious. People are used to paying for Anderson Silva, but it's been a long time since they've had to do that. Um, so I'm I'm not really sure. Yeah, this is going to be a really interesting one because this will, t- to me, tell you uh, what kind of an effect um, ESPN, um, you know, just putting all these resources into these cards, what effect is that ultimately going to have? And I would say if this is anywhere over, I would say, 220,000 buys, I think you can look at that as a, as a big difference maker. So it will be interesting to see that. Um, we're going to go through all of the fights from Saturday night. We're going to start off at the Fight Pass prelims, which lost one fight because Lando Venata and Me- a fighter that I, I don't know if we're ever going to see on a pay-per-view again, Marcos Mariano, got moved up to uh, fight second from the top. And Phil, they they called this the co-feature, the co-main event. And I I don't necessarily break down what exactly the definition of a co-main event is. To me, a co-main event is, well, if the other main event falls through, then this is a perfectly suitable main event on its own. I don't know if Lando Venata and Marcos Mariano uh, checked off that box. Well, I think maybe. See, Marcos Mariano, he has an... um... In uncanny resemblance to Anderson Silva. So maybe it was in case Anderson Silva wasn't able to compete, they could just slide Marcos Mariano into the fight with Israel Adesanya because he's in the co-feature. 
And that's just my call, yeah. call him Anderson Silva. <laughs> you know, you just like mumble through the introductions, right? And his opponent <laughs> Silva. <laughs> exactly. So we had John Anik and Dominic Cruz calling uh, tonight's card from Australia, and they also interviewed Dana White early on. Talked about the uh, the update on Robert Whitaker as we uh, as we went into the fights. So the first fight of the night was Jonathan Martinez against Wuliji Buren uh, at 135 pounds. They ended up going three rounds. Jonathan Martinez got the unanimous decision victory on scores of 30-27 twice and 29-28. We have seen Jonathan Martinez before, and he came into this fight. I I thought he won all three rounds, Phil. I thought that he looked... um, you know, the better of the two, Burns seemed to have a good game plan of going for his takedowns, but uh, I don't think Martinez had any resistance once he was on his back and willing to grapple with him and then uh, inevitably got better position. And I, I thought won each of those rounds, even though he did give up those takedowns. Yeah, he was able to reverse position continually throughout the fight, and uh, he was just busier. And especially by the end of the fight, you could just tell that he was—he'd sort of worn on uh, Bjorn, and uh, he finished really strong. So I, I had him winning all the rounds as well. Yeah. So Martinez improves to uh, ten and two with this victory at bantamweight. Next up was Jalen Turner, who's a really interesting prospect, taking on uh, Kalen Potter, who is from uh, Victoria in Australia. They were fighting at 155 pounds, and Potter got an enormous reaction coming out, and it was very short-lived because this fight went all of 53 seconds. Potter tries to pull guard and then tries for an arm bar. Then he goes to the leg, and they get back to their feet, and Turner connects with these two right hooks, attacks the body with a kick and a left hand, Potter is rocked and he gets finished with these three brutal strikes. And that is it. 53 seconds. Jalen Turner gets the knockout victory. Uh, I thought he looked pretty impressive here in the, uh, the limited time that he had. Yeah, he, he, he looked impressive in that he finished very quickly and, and landed his combination and then ended the fight. The only question that I have is, is, uh, who am I really watching here? Like, I, I, sure. I don't know this Kalen Potter character, and he certainly didn't look terribly seasoned in there. So uh, it was a good performance by Turner, but uh, maybe who knows where it stands because of the competition. Yeah, this is very much a showcase for Jalen Turner, and we'll see. That's a very, very deep division that um, you, you will get quality opposition in probably – a quick amount of time, but uh, Jalen Turner gets that victory. And then we go to the televised prelims and it started off with a hell of a fight between Kyung Ho Kang and Teruto Ishihara of team alpha male. Uh, this one only went three minutes and 59 seconds, but this was, uh, I, I would be very surprised if this does not get fight of the night. And well, I shouldn't say I'll be surprised because I can certainly see them uh, for, Obvious reasons giving it to the main event, but I thought this was the best fight on the card. They just start throwing wild. Like, these are two guys that have spent eight weeks training, and they threw their game plans out the window and just started throwing wild shots. Ishihara landed one of these, uh, but then uh, Kyung Ho Kang rocked Ishihara with a right hand, followed by a knee from the clinch, and Ishihara goes down to a knee and gets attacked with uppercuts, but then he gets back up, and these two just go to town on one another. This was every bit of 
Don Fry, Yoshihiro Takayama, as these two were just lighting each other up. And this crowd at 10 in the morning is going nuts. Uh, Kang then got his back on the ground, and that was the downfall of Ishihara. Once he lost his back, he had no way out. He grabbed the fence just to try and save him, but that was not going to get him out of this. Uh, Kang applied the rear naked choke, and Ishihara went out on his shield. He did not tap, and he went completely out as this fight ended. This was wild, Phil. Yeah, it was it was incre- incredibly exciting, and uh, I had the same uh, reaction regarding uh, recollecting that classic Pride battle. Um, it, it was nonstop action in this one. They were firing from uh, the get-go, and it could have ended at any moment, really for either guy. And uh, the ending was just uh, was really great. It was real, uh, really. Uh, Kang showed a lot of smarts. Because uh, they were just throwing so hard, and he really hurt Ishihara, and he he might have been able to finish him on the feet, but he, Ishihara was so hurt he went for the takedown and then got dominant position, got to the back, and not only got to the back, but his, he was able to trap Ishihara's left arm inside of his uh, his uh, hooks, and so Ishihara only had one arm to defend the choke, and he just couldn't. And uh, went out, and it was it was a really great fight. Uh, uh, probably, I, that's it's going to come up for round of the year for sure. I think so too. Yeah, this is an early contender. I thought for round of the year. What, what happens with someone like a Taruto Ishihara after a great fight like this? He's now lost five of his last six. So when uh, when Sean Shelby calls up Phil Chair Talk and says, "Hey, Phil." What should I do here? What, what what advice are you giving here for Taruto Ishihara and his future with the UFC? That's that's a tough question. I mean, he's 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 super exciting. His fights are very entertaining, but it's just he's not able to be at this competition level. So I I don't know how many people are really paying to see Ishihara. Maybe you send him somewhere else, let him get some wins, and then he can come back to the UFC. But I don't really feel like he's at UFC caliber right now. I, I ask that because I don't even know what UFC caliber means today. Like, it, Ronald, it, it's 600 right. guys. And if you're going to give me a fight like this on the prelims of a card that's this thin, uh, sign me up. This guy can lose 100 fights. If, if they're entertaining, that to me gets you a spot in the UFC in, in today's day and age. I mean, I guess there has to be some at least veil of a meritocracy where if you just keep losing, they can't book you anymore. You know, like that there's, there just has to be at least some essence of that. Otherwise it, it comes off as, I don't know, something else, vaudeville or something. Well, we'll, we will get there. (laughs) There's There's plenty of that to go around. Uh, Kai Kara France took on, uh, Holly and Paiva, at 125 pounds, the um, the elusive flyweight division. I have no idea what these guys are fighting for, but there is a division as we speak uh, at 125 pounds for the male fighters. Uh, I thought that uh, Kaikara France won the, the first round. He was uh, throwing these two big overhand rights that 
uh, both landed for him, was circling around, getting his strikes in. Uh, Paiva certainly came back in the second round. He was landing on, on Cara France and then landed these pair of strikes and then rolled into a guillotine right as the round was ending. And it looked like a really nice setup to this guillotine, but uh, inopportune time for Paiva. And then the third round, this one was close. Paiva was doing well inside the pocket and then was going forward, hit him low with a kick. And then Paiva is loading up on his combinations, but uh, Franz got a takedown and uh, hit another one right at the end of the round. So a very close third round, I thought. How did you score this one? So uh, I had the first round 10-9 for Ken Carafranca. He landed the bigger shots. Uh, I actually didn't see round two. My feed cut out. So I, I, I don't have an opinion on that. But for round three, which uh, was a close round, I had Paiva winning that round. I just thought he was landing more combinations. And uh, uh, Carafranca was landing uh, – he didn't. He wasn't landing as much as he was in the first round, and he did get a takedown at the end and one before that, but he didn't do anything with either of them, so it wasn't enough for me to give him the round. So up until that point, I had it a draw, but if you say the ra- second round is decisive, then I would have given this fight to Paiva. Yeah, I, I thought it came down to the third, so you would have had the same score as me. I, I had a 29-28 for Paiva, and it seemed that... Um... Media members, too, were very much split if you go to uh, MMA decisions that it was uh, – this was kind of – I think you could go either way. It wasn't an injustice that uh, Kai Kara France won this one. Shane Young versus Austin Arnett was next. Uh, this one, uh, again, went to the went the distance and ended up turning into a pretty entertaining fight. At the beginning, Young was being very patient, and Arnett was just trying to um, – he was absorbing these jabs and was just trying to work at distance. And then Young would inevitably, throughout this fight, just have these flurries that Arnett would just constantly eat. And it just got uh, more and more that he was piling up on this guy. And Arnett was just um, – he was like on the verge of ecstasy at the end of some of these rounds. He was just screaming into Young's face like he was having the time of his life getting just decimated in some of these rounds. I scored all three for her. Shane Young, but I swear to God, if you're just going by the the facial reaction, Austin Arnett, like this guy was the the winner in life on this night. He just seemed to have a great time. Yeah, I mean, he seemed to relish the moments when they would actually engage, uh, and he'd you know bite down on the mouthpiece and and just like start firing. But he would rare, he would only do it in like sort of like the last few seconds of each round. Most of the round he was on the back foot counter striking. So it was a bit of a weird reaction. I had uh, I had Young winning the fight. Uh, I had it, but I didn't give him all three rounds. I gave him the last two rounds. The first round I still gave Tarnett. He was he was moving better than Young, and he just had a little bit crisper technique. But Young came on strong at the end as he did in every round. And I think that was actually the biggest difference in this fight. Young had more at the end of these rounds and just kept pressing and pressing on Arnett. The best part of this fight was Arnett, like the final 20 seconds of the fight, he really starts like he lands an elbow and then he follows up with some strikes. And it's like a really solid sequence for him. And boom, he gets dropped with a right hand, like in the closing seconds after he had this little bit of a momentum at the end of the fight. 
but entertaining uh, for what it was. And Shane Young, he trains with uh, Israel Adesanya at City Kickboxing. So there was a whole group of them uh, that were on this card. I believe there were three of them in total. And then the main uh, prelim bout was Devontae Smith versus Dong Yoon Ma, who a number of years ago had one of the best fights of the year in 2016 with Apollo Reyes on that UFC 199 undercard. Uh, this was not a fight of the year contender, but uh, Devontae Smith certainly had an outstanding performance. Uh, first of all, he he was on Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series this past August, got a contract from that, and then he uh, erased Julian Arosa in 46 seconds back in November. Came into this fight, he was landing these calf kicks early on, has really strong footwork, that's pretty evident, and Ma was being just very tentative. At one point, he smiled after Smith hit him, and Dominic Cruz, I believe it was, remarked that, well, that's one smile and one significant strike that he has landed so far in this round to kind of put a spotlight on his lack of offense. So then Ma, maybe hearing Dominic Cruz, decides that he is going to go for a kick, and he leaves himself open for this left-right combination that rocks him smith then puts him down onto the canvas and and lands these three big strikes to the head and the fight is stopped at 353 of the first round yeah very exciting performance very uh i mean you mentioned the footwork it was uh tremendous by uh, Devonte smith dong yun ma was his strength is the grappling and he wasn't able to get anywhere near Devonte smith and yeah, once uh, sort of the crowd got a little restless, uh, Ma started to get a little reckless, and that's when uh, he was countered, and Smith put him away right away. And uh, a very impressive uh, performance by him, but then he enhanced it with just the most amazing interview afterwards. This interview... Man, do you want to share your highlights of this? This, to me, was as important as the fight. Like, Devontae Smith had an excellent performance, and I include everything from the moment he walked out till the moment he walked to the back afterwards because this was how you get yourself over to an audience that is maybe not familiar with Devontae Smith at the beginning of the night. Yeah, it it definitely piqued my interest. I mean, one of my notes is, uh, who is this character? Like, just a really, just uh, engaging personality. At one point, uh, uh, Anik asks him to go through the fight-ending sequence, and, like, he's, he's like, calling his one-two. He's like, okay, I'm going to hit him with the bing-bing. And he just sort of narrates his entire performance, and uh, it was hilarious, and, uh, you know, astute observations as well. Like, he, he's he's sharp and on point and uh, just really entertaining. And I think a lot of people are going to want to see him again soon. And then he calls out Francisco Trinaldo, which I, I, I love this call out because Francisco Trinaldo is not like a named fighter, but he's super tough. Like, most guys probably don't want to fight him. I think he's on like a huge win streak or recently was on a huge win streak. So calling him out is just saying, I just want a tough fight, the toughest fight you can give me, even if it isn't a big name. So I, I love that. And uh, yeah, let's let's get him in there soon. Yeah, I mean, Francisco Trinaldo has had a very, um, you know, unassuming run in the UFC's lightweight division. I mean, when you look at this guy's record, he's won... 
three, six, seven, eight, nine, nine of his last eleven fights. Yeah, and against against you know quality top, top, guys. Yes, like, look at these wins: Evan Dunham, Jim Miller, Paul Felder, Yancey Medeiros, Ross Pearson, Chad Laprise, Norman Park. Like these are these are solid wins. His Absolutely. losses have been to James Vick and Kevin Lee. So, I mean. Good for this guy calling his shot. I don't know if this would be necessarily uh, how high you should be aiming for, but if he feels he can beat this guy, that's that's a way you catapult yourself. Yeah, it, it does. It does feel like a huge step up for somebody who like this was my first opportunity to see him. So um, maybe slowly roll a little bit, but I, I love the confidence and and I, I just like the idea that he's he's calling out the toughest fight not the biggest name because he knows he's not a name yet. So it, it's, it's, it's really good. And let's not forget that this was um, the prelims airing on ESPN. So I'm sure there was quite a bit of an audience for this as well. So I would say Devonte Smith, um, one of, one of the notable figures coming out of this show, I thought. Definitely. Used the, used the most of his platform for the time he had. So very impressed with him. Then we go on to the pay-per-view. Started off with Sam Alvey taking on Jim Crute at 205 pounds. Sam Alvey is a fighter that you just always know is always around fighting. It's not until you pull up his his record, Phil, that you realize what a what a monster this dude has been throughout his career. Like his durability is insane. When you go back, this guy fought eight times in, how many is it? 2009, he fought three, six, seven, eight times in 2009. Then he topped that in 2010. He has never fought less than three times in a given year. Like every year, he's doing like three to four fights. Every single year, without fail. It's crazy. Yeah, and he he doesn't uh, really get finished uh, all that often either. Like, and his losses tend to be decision losses. I mean, he has been finished in his career, and as we'll get to today, was uh, it didn't go his way. But uh, uh, yeah, durability is definitely one of the reasons why he's been able to sustain his career for so long. So this was also notable because after 16 fights in the UFC, this was Sam Alvey's first appearance on pay-per-view. And what a debut it was. Uh, Jim Crute, who's an undefeated 22-year-old, youngest fighter on the card, he drops him with this solid right hand. And then Jim Crute, he goes to walk off rather than following up. And referee Mark Goddard has not waved the fight off. So Sam Alvey gets back to his feet. The fight is not over. And, man, this could have been a a terrible lapse in judgment for Jim Crute. But the fight continues. Alvy is able to grab the leg and take him down. But Jim Crute transitions to the back, and he starts attacking Alvy with strikes. And Alvy's trying to cover up. He does put his thumb up to Mark Goddard. But these strikes are coming down. And Mark Goddard waves off the fight. And Sam Alvy is no longer smiling Sam. He is fucking pissed, Sam. As he gets up, he is screaming at Mark Goddard, and you have never seen this man so livid, ever. And it was just such a contrast, because this is the smiling guy, and he was so upset here. Uh, The finish came at 2.49 of the first round. 
They read off the decision, and then Elvie just stormed out of the cage. And apparently, uh, the announcers were bringing this up, that Sam Elvie was not happy to begin with that Mark Goddard was refereeing this fight because he was the referee in his last fight against Antonio Rogerio Noguera that he also believes Goddard ended uh, too early. So even going into this fight, he had his reservations. And yeah, this just seemed like the worst case scenario for Elvie. But uh, did you agree with the stoppage or did you think that Sam Elvie had a case here? When I saw the uh, in real time, I agreed with the stoppage. I thought that he he was rocked badly. And then even though it looked like he sort of recovered because of the walk off, um, he like when he uh, he got swept really easily, like uh, it, it was just it just felt like he didn't have his legs under him. And it did look like he was eating a lot of shots. So I can understand. And I didn't see the thumbs up either. So I understood why Mark uh, Goddard uh, stepped in there. But uh, when you saw the replay, you see the thumbs up and you see uh, him covering up quite a few of those shots. So you you can definitely make a case that it was an early stoppage. And uh, I can understand why he'd be upset, especially thinking that the previous fight with the same referee um, was an early stoppage as well. Yeah, I, I, I give a lot of leniency to referees that are in these uh, impossible situations at times. I mean, you have to also look at, like, Sam Elvey was absolutely rocked by that right hand. And, I mean, that fight was nearly stopped. The only reason it wasn't was become, because Jim Crute did not follow up on his own advantage that he had. And, yeah, it's it's always tough to get into their heads. Watching the replay, it seemed like Sam Elvey could have gone a little bit longer. Um, and yeah, he was obviously uh, furious about the stoppage. Nadia Kasim versus Montana, Montana De La Rosa was next at uh, 125 pounds. And this was just a dominant performance by De La Rosa. She immediately just charges at Kasim uh, and takes her down works in half guard and just controls her on top for the entire first round. There wasn't a whole lot of damage inflicted, but it was a pretty strong round for De La Rosa. And she continued in the second one. She used her strikes to set up the takedown and then got a lot more creative on top. She went for a mounted triangle and then an arm bar. And Kasim is defending, takes these elbows from De La Rosa, and then she holds on to the arm, getting the arm bar. And it was apparently a verbal submission as well. And Montana De La Rosa wins. She improves to 10 and 4. And this is her third win in the UFC. 237 of the second round, she wins this. Definitely a dominant performance. Uh, the triangle armbar uh, technique in the second round was really good. She did a lot to make sure she would maintain the position and ultimately get the finish. I, this Nadia Kasim, I, I do not. She was not a very strong opponent. She really had no answer at all on the ground. She had uh, no way to stop the takedowns at all. So, yeah, it was a dominant performance, but the level of competition here was not high at all. Yes, and that would be yeah something we would see revisited later on on this on the sixty five dollar pay per view card, <laughs> mind you, and that that definitely affects my. Um, my judgment of a card, because I think what you're asking of your viewership or of your audience, I, I think that absolutely 
raises the standards. I'm going to have a very different bar uh, for what I am going to find to be a, a thumbs up card on a free card versus a $65 one. And this to me, up until the main event, Phil, it just felt like the fight pass prelims just, they just kept going. And it wasn't that they were bad fights, but I was just, I was watching the fight pass prelims until Anderson Silva walked out. Uh, I I definitely know what you're saying. Uh, it, it did feel that way. Uh, the fights were entertaining though. So I, I was, even though, yes, they the were sort of lacking meaning because usually as you go through a fight card, you have like a little bit of prospects, newcomers, and then guys who are in title contention and they're, you know, getting really close. Or there's other guys who are like near title contention and they're fading. Here, you didn't have any of that. You just had a bunch of guys who are kind of just like everybody was like green on this card, it felt like, until the main event. What, what do you think at this moment, what is the priority? Is it getting the most viewership possible on ESPN, such as next weekend with Cain Velasquez and Francis Ngannou? Is it getting as many subscribers to ESPN Plus? Or do you still feel that pay-per-view is still the dominant priority for the UFC as they're entering this relationship? I believe that the priority is still going to be the pay-per-views because it represents still, um, I think, more half, more than half of their revenue. I, I, this might have been from like a few years ago. So I don't know like how the ESPN deal fits into their total revenue model. But certainly with last year's, you know, Conor McGregor-Habib fight, that did, that did massive. So pay-per-view is a big priority still. Um, and they want to put on the big events possible. I think this one was a little different because they've got an Australian champion and it was like really Australian focused and they're trying to build up another guy. So it, I don't, I don't know the, the whole pay-per-view system is kind of weird. Now it feels like, it feels like you only actually get like two or three real pay-per-views every year that you really want to shell out for. And all the other ones are just glorified um, fight nights sometimes. Yeah, and that's going to be interesting because in the, like last year, I, I think that you put a pay-per-view on, you're not going to fall below, I would say 125,000 pay-per-view buys is probably the lowest you were going to go. You were guaranteed. And those still were profitable for the company. So it's not like they put on a Demetrius Johnson pay-per-view and they were losing money on those cards. It's just a question of how profitable they are. And this is going to show you, I, th I feel like this is, this is what the, the floor is going to be in the ESPN era, whatever this number is, of what we can put on pay-per-view and what fans will, regardless of a card, they will, they will buy. Because I can't imagine there's going to be a pay-per-view this year that is... Um, less name heavy than this one. It, um, it depends, though. It really depends on the drawing power of Adesanya and the drawing power of Silva, if he still has it. Because if people really wanted to see that fight, they'd probably be willing to pay for that fight, even if all the fights underneath it didn't have names that they recognized. So... Um, I, I guess we'll find out when the numbers come out. Um, I, I know internally 
the fight between them as it was starting kind of gave me this nervous feeling that I only get in really, really big fights. So it was kind of interesting that I guess I got so emotionally wrapped up in the whole thing. Ricky Simone took on in a, in a highly contested fight, Hani Yaya, a veteran here of UFC. Uh, they went three rounds here. Ricky Simone is an emerging prospect at 130, uh, 135 pounds, 14-1 record coming into this fight. And it seemed evident that Hani Yaya wanted to get this fight to the ground. That is his specialty, and that's kind of the the game that they were going to play here. And I thought that Ricky Simone largely um, dictated his style of fight for three rounds. He was uh, connecting with strikes. And to Yaya's credit, he as well landed some quality shots throughout this fight. Uh, I had Ricky Simone winning all three rounds. Uh, I'd be curious if you gave uh, Honey Yaya any rounds. Uh, the scores were somewhat surprising to me. Not the two 30-27 scores, but one judge had it 30-25 for Ricky Simone. Very liberal with his 10-8 rounds. Uh, yeah, I had it 30-26 uh, to 26 with the first round being 10-8 Simone. Uh, Yaya was in it uh, in the second round. He even hurt him with one shot at a point, and he, he was still dangerous kind of throughout. He was always throwing in the third round. Simone really established that he, he, uh, yeah, yeah. wasn't going to do anything to him. Um, it was a pretty impressive performance against a very tough and gritty veteran. Yep. I mean, honey, Yaya is a rank bantamweight. They should get Ricky Simone into, uh, a more prestigious standing at bantamweight. I think he's a really interesting bantamweight to watch. Um, very good striking and, you know, passed this test, which is not an easy one. Honey Yaya has had uh, a really good run of late. He had won uh, three fights in a row coming into this fight and seven of his last eight. So this is a very good win for Ricky Simone. Next up, our co-main event of the evening. Going from the fight pass prelims to the co-main event of the night. Lando Venata versus Marcos Mariano at 155 pounds. This fight consisted of Lando Venata applying a body lock and slamming Mariano uh, to a place he has clearly never been, which was fighting off of his back. Venata got into his guard and largely just controlled him for this round. He landed some elbows to try and open up the guard, and then he was able to isolate the arm while transitioning his body and just snapped on a Kimura. With five seconds to go in the round, and Marcos Mariano was done, he tapped out, and that was it. That was your co-main event of the night, Phil. It was, well, I was thankful because it meant that we could, you know, get to the main event quicker. Uh, Lando dominated. This was a clear mismatch on the ground. I think they said that Mariano was uh, blue belt at... uh, uh, the start and uh, boy, could you tell? Um, because he he looked lost on the ground. He he had no tools whatsoever, and uh, Lando had his way with him and got the submission at the end of the first. Like I'm a little puzzled at Marcos Mariano being like on their radar as a guy to be bringing in and forget. Like I understand the circumstances that this ends up on the pay per view, but here's a guy who's 32 years old. He's He's one and one in his last two fights coming into the UFC. He's got a six and four record. 
I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something. Yeah, I, I, I don't I don't know either. Uh, I mean, they need to fill up cards. Um, and this is also a card in a foreign country. So maybe the it's tougher to find people who can travel there. Um, I don't know. Maybe that had something to do with it. There's some other weird ones. Just the whole debut. There was a flyweight that de- debuted on this card. Um, uh, was it Paiva? Yeah. It's yeah. like, okay, okay. Like, yeah, you why are we debuting flyweights? Like, what? Well, that, that's a bigger <laughs> question, yes. As we also cut to uh, Joseph Benavidez and Henry Cejudo just chilling out in the, uh, in the crowd as well at one point uh-huh. during this card. Uh, and the flyweight title also getting passed around, as we'll get into uh, after this next fight. As we go to the main event with Anderson Silva, Israel Adesanya. And you're right. Like, it had a uh, a, a buzz as these two guys were entering. The crowd was really into this uh, at the beginning before they even uh, squared up. And, you know, th- this felt like a main event. And I think that that's always a good thing for a pay-per-view. So the fight begins... And early on, Silva is, like, chasing after Adesanya, and he gets nailed, and he's wobbled. And you're you're thinking that, man, this is going to be a very short night for Israel Adesanya, and he's just going to put this guy away. But Anderson Silva recovers. Uh, Adesanya continued tagging him, and Silva, I mean, in this fight, he was able to display a chin and was able to... You know, withstand a lot of strikes from Adesanya. Uh, I thought the first round was clearly Israel Adesanya's round. And Silva, you can see that his speed is not what it once was. His reflexes are not what they once were. But it's hardly elements of his game that have completely vanished. Um, This is not a uh, shop-worn Anderson Silva. As we saw in the second round, he eats this combination while his hands are down. And you're just wondering, what is this guy doing? And then Silva lands his counter right, and he starts landing with his own combination. He has his best, um, you know, moments of the fight in the second round as he's landing on Adesanya, showing that he can be hit. And Silva was just moving his head quite a bit, landing with jabs. Uh, this turned into a very competitive round. Adesanya certainly had his moments as well in this round. Uh, how did you score the second? I gave the second to Silva, 10-9. So I- did I. I thought he was pressing forward more. He landed the more, like, the bigger shots. Like, Adesanya would land, like, stiff shots that would just sort of jar Silva. But uh, Silva would land shots that would really send Adesanya back. And it just sort of seemed like as that round was ending, Adesanya was getting a little bit frustrated because he was getting hit and he wasn't – Hitting as much. Silva Silva got a read on a lot of the shots and was moving out of the way pretty good of a lot of the strikes and definitely of a lot of the kicks. Yeah, and I think you could see that in real time, Adesanya having to readjust and and I think he did that well. I thought that was a really interesting part of his game, like being able to adjust in the third round because he came out in the third and he started going after um, his leg with kicks. Silva went for this flying knee and he almost just put a hole through this fence. He just went right into this thing like a V-trigger. Silva uh, is has his back against the fence, and he's daring Adesanya to come fight him with his back to the fence. And Adesanya obliges, but doesn't seem all that interested, and eventually brings him back to the center. And it's Adesanya connecting with the left hand. Silva throws a head kick, and 
you know, a lot of this was the two of them just kind of um, trying to to faint and entertain the crowd with a lot of it as well. Um, I had the, the third going to Adesanya, 29-28 overall. Was that the score you had as well? Yeah, that was the score I had. Uh, and, and, and the sort of theatrical techniques that they were using, they were there to entertain the crowd, but I, I also enjoyed it. I uh, enjoyed yeah. it a lot. I thought it was a spectacle and the crowd wanted it. And it was, and it, I never felt it was like they were doing it to the, the detriment of their own performances. I think they were really trying to get into each other's head as well. Like I thought there was a Definitely. psychological tactic to it as well. Definitely. Yeah. The psychology was really interesting. There was one point in the third round where, uh, Anderson sort of just like parked himself against the cage as he's done historically in the past. He didn't put his back against it. He sort of like dug a foot in and Adesanya went back to the center of the octagon and said, no, let's go fight over here. And Anderson said, no, let's fight over here. And eventually Adesanya obliged and they sort of traded a little bit until Adesanya said, no, I've had enough. We're going to fight in the middle of the octagon and the fight reset. So, and the fight was filled with all sorts of little psychological moments. Uh, yeah, the, the theatrical stuff was it was it was actually beautiful i thought it was just like a great display of mixed martial arts the only bad part about it was like no really like amazing technique really landed so and there was a lot of faints so it was kind of slightly anticlimactic but it was still really awesome and and uh really great technique and a fantastic uh feeling fight yeah i I thought Anderson Silva showed a lot more than I was expecting. I, I was not anticipating a very uh, fun night for Anderson Silva, but he was a lot more competitive than I thought. And winning a round, I think that there was a certain moral victory there. And for a guy that really, if we want to go all the way back to the title loss to Chris Weidman, we're looking at almost six years of largely negative outcomes for Anderson Silva, whether they be in the cage or outside the cage. I, I think his career... Uh, desperately needed a night like this. Yeah, it was it was really good to come back this way. He he definitely he didn't lose anything. I mean, he lost the fight on paper, but the the crowd loved him. I mean, the crowd was chanting Silva Silva at one point. I don't know if it was the third or the second round when he after he started to come on, and uh, it, yeah, it was a great performance. I I was maybe one of the few people who thought that he was getting slept on in this fight going into it. Um, It had been a while since we saw him because of the suspension, but I just remember he fought Daniel Cormier on two days notice at a higher weight class. And no, he didn't win that fight, but he stayed safe. He even hurt Cormier at one point. He didn't look awful in that fight. Like this, this is one of the real greats of all time, a really I mean, and incredibly durable as well. Like he takes shots like nobody else. So uh, I still favored uh, Israel Adesanya, but the the line on this fight was huge. And and I did think that Silva had a chance. And I'm glad that uh, I was uh, shown to be right because it was a great performance. And I think everybody's happy for Silva. He was interviewed after he said he'd be, he's interested in fighting in uh, Curitiba, Brazil, Later this year, he turns 44 in April. Um, you know, I watched this performance and I, I don't think um, like I don't have the concerns if this guy wants to fight, you know, uh, 
he can fight middleweights that I, I think can, he is not going to go out and embarrass himself. I don't think this is a Chuck Liddell situation, uh, even if he's 44 at this point. Um, do you feel any differently? And what are the kind of opponents that are out there for Anderson Silva? I, I don't feel any differently. I feel like he could take any fight really in the middleweight division. I mean, he didn't win this one, so it doesn't make sense to give him a title fight. But even if he were to face Robert Whitaker or Kelvin Gastelum or Jacques Array, I, I, I would give him a good chance. Like, he showed good skills. Israel Adesanya is at the top of this division. Um, in terms of opponents for him, that's a little bit tougher. I, it, it, he sounded like he was maybe alluding to the Curitiba fight being a last fight. Um, so if it, if it's a last fight, it, it would make sense to find a appropriate name. Um, I, I like the idea of him fighting Jacare. I think that would be a really good fight. Then they uh, they also interviewed Israel Adesanya, and he said that he showed up at work even though some others didn't, and the crowd immediately identified who this was a veiled shot at, at Robert Whitaker. And this crowd was having none of this from Adesanya. They booed him and he quickly turned things around. He told Kelvin Gastelum to stop carrying around that title that he's holding. And we should explain that Kelvin Gastelum, uh, one of his teammates is Henry Cejudo. So Henry Cejudo is there in Australia with him for fight week and gave him his flyweight title tonight to go around to the media and proclaim himself the new middleweight champion with his logic that they both weighed in and therefore the fight was official. And if Whitaker couldn't make it, that's a forfeit. And he is now the middleweight champion. And there were some that were very put off by this guy uh, going this direction when a guy is literally in surgery and could not make this fight. And then others will argue that you could see from a mile away, Phil, that the guy that seemed to be probably steamrolled in all of this would have been Kelvin Gastelum, that this guy's just not going to get his title shot. They're going to move on to Adesanya, and they're going to forget about Kelvin Gastelum, that he needed to do something to try and keep his name in the mix here. Uh, what did you think about this tactic, which I felt was very much um, a PR tactic, plain and simple, by Kelvin Gastelum? Was it an effective one? I well, whether it's effective or not, we'll see if he gets his title shot still. But I had no problem with it. I thought it was good. I thought he even handled it in like the most respectful way he could. He wasn't. He didn't say that Robert Whitaker was wasn't tough. It wasn't. He he didn't handle it the way that Israel Adesanya uh, handled it. It's sort of implying that he just wasn't tough enough to show up to work. Um, he he just sort of said matter of factly like. The rules when I did wrestling were this. So, um, and then, you know, he did a little bit of showboating, which is uncharacteristic of him. Um, but I thought it was fine. And, uh, it, you know, he's got a, he certainly has a valid point. He's earned a title shot. Um, so it would be awful for him if he were to lose that to, uh, Israel Adesanya. So I didn't have a problem with it. And, um, I don't know. It might work out for him. Uh, they invested so much time in that uh, television show that it feels like they want to get the payoff because they were coaches on The Ultimate Fighter, right? Yes. So, yeah. and, and it got delayed the one time already. So it's I, – I don't know. And Robert Whitaker, like that sounds pretty 
th- that doesn't sound like the kind of surgery you want to necessarily rush back to, um, to, to fight immediately. Um, this might be a case where an interim title is, is a good idea to do between Gastelum and Adesanya if Whitaker can't fight until the fall. Sure, sure. And as long as Gastelum gets his title fight, because it does feel pretty, pretty gnarly for him to lose it this way. Well, that's when I heard about this. The first thing I thought was that wow, they are going to move on to the Adesanya Silva winner uh, with Whitaker, and Gastelum is just going to be forgotten in the wind. So I, I think he felt that hey, I'm going to make my case for myself. And listen, that's what the UFC is today. Like you, you have to be thinking like that. And the idea that I I've earned this, I've won all these fights, like that holds no water. And we've seen a million examples of it. And these. This kind of thinking, like this is what gets guys that spotlight that the UFC, they respond to. So I I can't fault the guy for playing by the rules that his promotion has laid out as, you know, what you have to be doing to get these title fights, even though there's a lot of disagreement over that. I mean, now people are way more interested in the Kelvin Gastelum story than they were 24 hours ago. So I think it was a smart move. So that was the UFC 234 card. Um, yeah, a, a show that kind of nearly fell apart at the end, but still went through. And I was with you. I thought that there were a number of entertaining fights. I didn't think this was an, uh, a very deep card. I think that the main event was certainly a really fun main event. I don't know if I could justify uh, recommending someone spend $65 on this card. Um but nonetheless, for a, a night of fights, Phil, what was your satisfaction level? I was pretty satisfied. I thought almost all the fights were entertaining. And uh, it was good to, you know, there was a couple of standout performances on the card. Uh, oh, my gosh. the uh, I, I changed the tabs. Sorry. Um, Devontae Smith. Smith would probably be the most notable one outside of... Um, well, I, I think this was this was sort of supposed to be the Israel Adesanya coming out party, but I almost feel like Anderson Silva was the biggest star coming out of this fight. I, I agreed with you. Like, had he won this fight, he would have been fighting for the title in his next fight. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. So, did, did you have any any reservations about Israel Adesanya? Can uh, Conversely, coming out of this, like if you look at him uh, specifically for a Robert Whitaker, but even for a Kelvin Gastelum or a Chris Weidman or a Luke Rockhold, um, are you looking at this guy as uh, being at that level yet? I I do look at him being at that level. I I didn't. He he won this fight. Like it was a great performance by Silva, but it was even even better one by him. So he he's able to beat the best of the best out there. Outside of the champion, of course, which we'll get to see hopefully soon. Uh, so my, his stock went up. Like it's not like his stock went down or anything. It's just Silva just had such a great performance and he has a long history and he's been you know so long uh, involved in huge fights. I think this was his 20th headlining fight now in the UFC, which is a record. Um, so – Uh, It was just that he just shined really bright tonight. So next weekend, the UFC is back. They have a card on ESPN. It's a Sunday night card headlined by Francis Ngannou and Cain Velasquez. Do you have a pick for that fight? 
Uh, I think this is a Cain Velasquez fight. If he if he comes in healthy, he should be able to really just pressure and take him down and pound him out in a similar way to what Stipe did, maybe even worse. Um, but Ngannou's got crazy power, and uh, we've seen Cain knocked out in the past. Wouldn't that be crazy if the first ESPN event ends with a Cain Velasquez knockout in the first round? Oh my gosh! And and uh... Dana would just oh my god. Well, uh, although at this point they're not as invested in Kane. Like at that point they were all in on him. So um, him losing to Ngannou wouldn't be that big a deal to them. And then I guess this card it's got Paul Felder, James Vick, Courtney Casey, Cynthia Calvillo, Cron Gracie, Alex Caceres, Vicente Luque against Brian Barbarina, Andre Feely versus Miles Jury. And you go down here. Henan Barrow is fighting on the early prelims against Luke Sanders. And I guess it's how far can Henan Barrow fall? Because I can't believe I'm saying this, but I, I don't even know if Luke Sanders is going to be uh, a win for Henan Barrow. Uh, yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough. He's, had, he's definitely had a tough run since losing his title and then switching weight classes. Uh, I think he's only gotten one win in that uh, period. So it's been a tough run for him. And uh, um, yeah, uh, I don't know. We'll see. There's some interesting fights on this card. Uh, Jimmy he's Rivera. Got the same, he's got the same. Sorry to cut you off. He's got you the know, same record right. as Teruto Ishihara. He has lost five of his last six. There you go. Yeah, not yeah, not on good times. So maybe you know, getting on the preliminary card is is going to be good because there won't be as many eyeballs looking at him. But yeah, tough to say. So um, next uh, Sunday night. But go ahead. No, I was just going to say there's just a couple of other interesting fights on this card. Uh, Jimmy Rivera versus Aljamain Sterling um, is a really good fight. Jimmy Rivera uh, coming back from pretty brutal loss to Marlon Marais. And then um, we've got the debut of Cron Gracie in the UFC on the main card. And uh, so that's pretty interesting. His jiu-jitsu is at an incredibly, incredibly high level. Yeah, so this is a, there's a lot of variety on this card. This should be a very fun show. Nick Lentz versus Scott Holtzman on this card as well. Nick Lentz, always a character, always entertaining, at least leading up to the fights, the fights themselves. So Not our always. next uh, show will be after UFC 235, which has the two championship fights. Today, there's two championship fights. There are many weeks until this card takes place on March the 2nd, but it is tentatively scheduled to feature John Jones versus Anthony Smith and Tyron Woodley versus Kamaro Usman, as well as the UFC debut of Ben Askren taking on Robbie Lawler. Tisha Torres versus Wiley Zhang, and the pay-per-view main card rounds out with Cody Garbrandt versus Pedro Munoz, the two guys that will not say a negative thing about the other. Yeah, it, well, I mean, and also Zabit, I'm not going to say his last name because I'll butcher it, but Zabit's on this card uh, in a very tough fight against Jeremy Stevens. Uh, it, this is a really good card. I'm really interested in seeing uh, Ben Askren in there. Going up against Robbie Lawler is a is a really tough fight to begin with, but also somebody who's who's been a victim to wrestlers in the past in his career. So I really want to see what Ben Askren can do uh, in the UFC. 
Yeah, and they did have an update on this card that Ovin St. Preux is off that show. So Misha Serkinov currently without an opponent for that UFC 235 card. So we will follow that to see if uh, Serkinov gets a replacement at 205 pounds. All right, that's going to wrap up the show. Phil, thank you as always for joining me. I would hate to be just uh, here in an empty room talking to myself. It would it would drive me insane. Well, I'm I'm glad I can you know keep you grounded in sanity. All right. Well, Phil, thank you very much. Thanks to everybody for listening. You can, of course, go to postwrestling.com. Wei Ting and I, we will be back on Monday night following Raw. A whole schedule of shows coming up this week. And that's it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll speak with you next time.